Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. At long last, I'm so excited about this episode. I'm joined by Jean Bathany. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's the, the perfect timing, so thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me and being persistent. I yes. appreciate it, yeah. I think I originally found you, I was trying to get a job at Disney World and I wanted to be an Imagineer. I had, was having a lot of conversations at the time with my then boss, Ron Burridge, about working on the Haunted Mansion. This is kind of gross to do this right up front, but just to preface why I originally reached out to you, I'll make it very spark notes here. When I was a kid, I went to Disneyland and I would try and turn my parents' basement into like the Peter Pan ride and I would put all the little like Christmas lights, those would be like the city streets and I would run them back and forth and I'd have the Hot Wheels and I would take my sister's Little Mermaid bike and I would like go around in the basement and I always had it in my head. I wanted to be like a Disney Imagineer type character. I have all like the cool Disney books and stuff like that. So I found you on LinkedIn. And then what was kind of cool about it was I ended up following your journey to there, to Walmart, to all these extraordinary things you've done. And, and now I feel like we're like internet homies. Then today we're becoming like digital friends. And this will eventually, we'll just become best friends. I feel like a whole best friend thing coming on definitely. Like not, not to be weird or anything. I hear you on the, the Disney play grew up as a Disney kid and and way older than you, but recreating Disney songs and experiences at home. It's interesting to think about how imagineering and advertising and marketing creative overlap. And there's much more experiential creative that we do now than ever before. And it was fascinating. It was fascinating being at Disney. Let's just start at the Disney stuff. I know you've gone on to other things since then, but how did that opportunity come to be? It was an interesting journey to get to Disney because I spent the first 25 some odd years of my career as a creative and then as a creative leader at advertising agencies. And I actually got recruited to Disney. They were looking for a VP to head up global creative. And at the moment I was at DDB Chicago. I was an executive creative director there and open to opportunities. And so I was looking at other chief creative officer roles, other agency roles. And the Disney was intriguing to me because I had never been brand side before. And if you think about it, there, there was for a long time in the ad industry, going brand side was kind of like where old creatives go to die. Then there was an evolution of brands are now taking on and building internal creative departments, not just to be creative services, but to be agencies within brands and also to be the brand gatekeepers and help the creative expression of brands. So, you know, obviously Disney, massive company, massive entertainment and creative company. And I was just a little bit hesitant. I remember telling myself, they flew me out to Burbank and I said, I remember telling myself, like, if they're pumping into small world throughout the offices, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to do it. Right. So I can't, I I love Disney and the storytelling and the characters. I can't do the saccharine suite all the time. You know, I'm a mom and I have two kids and daughters and brought, brought my kids to Disney and, you know, had these really indelible memories. Also just thinking about what is the, what is the potential role and the potential to grow and grow the culture and the, the brand at, a, at such a legacy brand as Disney. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I went there and it was fascinating and I met who was the SVP, Marty Muller, amazing woman who led the in-house agency called Yellow Shoes for parks experiences. It was I started at Disney Parks and Experience and then we they evolved the company structure and we took on products as well, consumer products. And she, you know, again, you think about the magic of Disney. 
it was the magic of making someone feel something and emotional storytelling. And she said, let's take a walk. You know, you got to love a good walk and talk. And she walked me through the through over on the Imagineering side of the because we were in the marketing side. She had our own offices, bungalow and through Imagineering and the workshop, they had, you know, 2D renderings, digital renderings. They had, you know, cardboard builds, foam builds. They she took me through. So we're looking at what's what was happening and they were building Shanghai at the moment. And then ultimately throughout this massive workshop into historical storage of like Disney statues, like the first seven dwarves carved into marble and Snow White. Oh, wow. And you're seeing the heads from the haunted mansion and you just go, you can kinetically feel the history and the people that had touched the brand from Walt on to the present day. And it was so emotional like i felt such an emotional connection and opportunity and, and an honor to go in and be part of that experience it was a really great brief helped take us this in-house agency which had been around for some time but really acted more in a creative services mode in fact it's like they worked with outside agencies i would say outside agencies and the biggest difference that i've learned in this second part of my career of internal brands tend to have less of the creative strategy and creative ideation capability and more of the iterating and co-creating and then making up assets and filling all of the owned, earned, paid, shared channels. And really they were, and they were also a bit of an analog organization creatively. It's very traditional. And so how do you make them digital? How do you make them hire ideators? How do you drive innovation? How do you drive learning and development and culture? It was fascinating to do that and the opportunity to do that and always easier said than done. Something that you touched on here is I think that you need to have within your soul a little bit of nostalgia. And I don't think that that's something that can necessarily be taught. But do you feel that way? Like I am very nostalgic and emotional and, you know, it's like it's a gift and a curse, but I can't help but feel like you have to innately have that within you. I think I operate, you know, people who operate this left brain, right brain. And you think about intuition and intellect. And I definitely learned to balance more of you know the left and right at, at Disney because I was going, I think, from a from a traditionally agency where you're creative and cre it's creative at all costs. And so you're really, really powering on the creative side. But coming over to Disney and leading that group was more of the business of creativity. So it wasn't just creative for creative sake, but you had to like drive business results. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm very much a feels person. Like I need to feel it in my body, make, make with an idea as a consumer, as a viewer, as an audience, or as a maker, like give me the feels make, like if I feel an idea, I feel sometimes I'll feel it in my arms and my legs and the back of my neck. And I'm like that there's something there because you just moved me on a human level. And that's ultimately what we want to do. when we think about brands. Disney does live. It's a very emotional brand and the core of Disney is storytelling. And if you think about the history of storytelling, it's basically how we communicate on a human level. Go back, whether it's a visual on a wall, cave wall, or the audio sitting around a fire telling stories, or how we show it through, through film or single image photograph. It turns out that storytelling is a way that we can A, communicate on a, on a human level. And our, our brains are wired to retain, to remember stories better than just facts. And so it's you you're not only engaging people to like listen and lean in and and make them feel something, but you're helping them remember what the message that you're trying to share with them in a much more and, and, and it, it's funny when it turns out to be brain science as opposed to just 
the feels, you know, nostalgia and the brand. You know, I think I think I do both. Like I love how I grew up and the storytelling and the films and the experiences and my childhood and one of five and all was thrown into a big station wagon with music blasting. And at the same time, I love the future. And so when I went to Disney, it was, I had to go as a brand enthusiast, a brand advocate, passionate about the brand. I think what I learned about hiring people at Disney and building teams was you couldn't be a brand rejecter. If you rejected the ultimate, what Disney does and it's too saccharine or it's too artificial or, or all the other things it's too whatever right. um you're not going to be able to tell the stories that move people at the same time you want people that can help envision what the stories of tomorrow can be because there is a little bit of a challenge with the legacy brands that they're they're a bit more stuck and they are who they are who they are how and how do they continue to get new audiences and win new hearts, minds, spirits, and then ultimately wallets is how do you evolve the storytelling? Disney, I think, has like once again really hit its stride. I talk about Moana in the same breath that I talk about Beauty and the Beast and, you know, the, the list goes on. But, you know, just one example is, is that how did you guys strike that balance when you're you have, you know, there's the seven doors and there's all that, but that's, you know, starting to slide into like the forties and fifties and it's like getting kind of old. And then you have this new generation that's coming in that, especially pre Disney plus, they don't necessarily have that context. You know what I mean? Yeah, there was, it was the really interesting as we were looking at our audiences and starting to, there's a, there's an element of, or it used to be that kids would, the beg factor. I need to go to Disneyland or Walt Disney World. I need to, I, I want to meet my friends, Mickey and Minnie and whomever else I fall in love with, the princesses. What we started to see from a market perspective was as people were growing up and cutting the cord, their kids weren't being sat in front of the Disney Channel as sort of, sort of mainlining Disney storytelling, Disney IP, if you will. Right. And so there was less and there were more options for travel and experiences. The demand was falling. And we also saw that, you know, if if we didn't, expose children to a Disney experience before they were five, there was there was lesser lesser opportunity to have a long-term guest and, and fan and client. So it was looking at alternate ways of reaching those audiences, whether it be with YouTube channel, whether it be looking at, can we mix up the characters? I mean, I think they did an incredible job expanding the IP catalog with, you know, the Marvels of the world, the Star Wars of the world. I mean, it was a very, tended to be a pretty traditional storytelling company, a lot of princesses and even the princesses. I'm a diehard feminist. I have two daughters. My, my, my oldest daughter once said to me, mom, Disney ruined the idea of love for me. And I said, okay, that's a lot. Let's unpack that. <laughs> so for my daughters, Mulan, was a they wore it out because she was a hero she battled the odds she saved the day but she and the, at the same time there was still this like relationship and love despite of who she was right, right. or because of who she was so i you can see how that as you said the storytelling telling evolved to kind of we need to evolve beyond this sort of save me princess era right. into developing fuller characters and looking at how people relate today. I want to touch on what you were talking about, about nostalgia, because the another group that we were looking at is young adults. And it was all of a sudden, we're seeing a lot of young adults start coming to the park without their kids. You know, you go off to college or your first job. And the reality is, is that adulting sucks. And right. so <laughs> like, 
it's harder than you thought. It's expensive. It's exhausting. It's like, there's a lot of like realities that comes in and Disney and Disney experiences and films and all that gave you a chance to escape and go back to that nostalgic feeling of being a kid and not even worrying about it and not worrying about anything. So there was a whole work stream that we did. And we did it mostly in social of how do we talk to young people and tap into that nostalgia and that love of the brand and that love of the characters, but make it cool and make it, you know, like their happy place. And we repositioned this idea of what people were saying, happy place to connect it back to Walt Disney World and Disneyland and just think about custom experiences and custom campaigns just for that audience. You've put together these teams at the Walt Disney Company, which I'm done talking about now, but Disney, (laughs) (laughs) all the other agencies that you worked at, the team at Walmart, you were the chief creative officer at Walmart and you've done huge things on a global scale and put it all together, right? But when you're hiring, you know, there's all, there's a million different things about like resume building and all that different stuff, but from an emotional intelligence, that, that EQ level, what are you looking for? And then what are the things that you see that sometimes you're like, eh, I don't know. It's a great question. And I, cause I think the most important thing about this industry is talent. And I'm really focused on talent and building great teams. And also, so I think one of the things, the first thing I look for is diversity. And I think it's to be intentional about building diverse teams because I think there's power in diversity of thought. And so as you're looking at sort of building your bench and how are we pushing each other and how are we bringing different context? I always ask people what what they believe their superpower is because I think it's really important to connect with what people feel they're good at and what they love to do. I look for you know, more, more senior, what have you done in the past? What is, you know, what, what's your creative style or creative resume and what's your reputation in the business? Cause I have an absolute no asshole policy that there are yeah. too many talented people to deal with that anymore. Like you just, I just don't want to deal with that anymore. Not to say I don't love su- superstars. Cause I think it's great to bring some superstars on board to rise all boats. Just, you got to be a good person. Cause I, you know, I have a big a poster on my wall in my office and now it's home. It's like, work hard and be nice to people. Cause that's just, it's just where we have to start. And then I think about, you know, I want someone who's a clear communicator. I want someone who's passionate. I think passion is really important. I think, you know, excitement and there's talent and then there's, you can teach craft, you high ideation, and then passion and work ethic and someone who's going to really dig in and be collaborative and roll their sleeves up and kind of surprise you with something you haven't thought of before. I absolutely love, and this may sound like bullshit, but I love surrounding myself with people way more talented and way smarter than I am because I get to lean back and say, love it, go, you know, how do I protect that idea? How do I help? You know, how do you make think of, because there's, I can, there's so many ways to solve problems. When I'm hiring at a leadership level, I want people who are going to be bold, who are going to inspire, who are going to connect with other people so they're good at relationships. You have to be able to sell to, to you know, bring people along. You have to be really self-aware. And that goes back to that, what's your superpower question? It's like, what are you really good at? And what are you not so good at? And what do you like to do? And can you, you know, can you have influence? in an organization on a team and, you know, can you work well with others? And there's a little bit of storytelling in that, I think as well. Storytelling sells. They're almost kind of like a little bit yeah. of change. You hate to say it, but it's commercial art. You know, that's what it is. is. And, yeah. and 
I'm not going to, I've never, I've never kidded myself. I am in the business of creativity, right? right. It's I'm, if I wanted to be a fine artist, I would have taken a very different path. <laughs> like a beret, like somewhere. And just exactly. Like under Maybe the I, would, I would still be, I would still be smoking. <laughs> that was a challenge when I got to Disney is going, taking my agency hat of creativity at all costs and what's the best creative solution whereas what's the what what, what is the strategy what's going to drive the business and let's not do anything let's not be creatively indulgent because there's money attached and there's you know everybody's accountable and data is important so all, all of that is like that mind shift there was a there was a, a moment at disney where i learned it's not just what you do it's how you do it i would say agency side you know you're gonna you gotta win that pitch you're gonna win that meeting you've got to win that award you've got to win that new client by any means necessary places like disney and walmart it's like if you leave bottle bodies all over the place no one's going to want to work with you and it's very much the how you work together and how you get there and i think that requires emotional intelligence to to work together to collaborate to be empathetic to give people space to bring their ideas to the table for sure I think that one of the things you're touching on there is not being transactional. And this woman, Cy Wakeman, who, by the way, I need to introduce you to, you guys would be best friends. You kind of remind me of her a little bit. She had this quote, don't be transactional so that you can become transformational. And that really has helped me along the way because had I looked at every interaction that I had in my journey so far and had it as, as though it's like, I meet Jean Bethany, I want a job at Disney. I can't get a job at Disney. Screw Jean Beth- Bethany, by the way. If I had that mindset, I would never get anywhere. And it's been a learning experience to not be transactional with the people that I look up to, but just play this sort of long game. As a leader, how do you nurture someone who has that enthusiasm, is working the skill set, and over time to get them where a place that they could actually take off? There are always going to be people that you meet that you're going to like on a personal level and that you don't see the work in their book or the work in their reel or whatever it is. And since people to me are the most important part, I try to take time and have conversations. It used to be when people asked me what my superpower was, I would say radical candor with kindness and being able to give clear feedback, constructive feedback, but always leave people with hope, right? Because I think the worst thing you can do is with, with growing and learning creatives and even senior creatives is like people come into your office all day long with ideas. And then if you just shit all over the ideas and you leave <laughs> destroyed, it's, it's hard to get it back up again. And I think that's an old school approach to fe- leading with fear and, you know, that, that threat of maybe you don't have a job or, or what's going to happen. If you don't come in Sunday, don't come in Monday. But I think that idea of feedback where you see it and then, and then constructive criticism moving forward. And connections create connections, right? And so if I met you, like you and I have Brian Collins in, 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 in common, and, and I had another designer who came in and worked for me as an intern, and then he his internship was done, and it was sort of like, where is he going to go? And so it was. now I have a lot of people that I know in the industry who, that I can connect with. So how do I make these introductions? And then those five people you can have conversations with and they may, what, what your skill set is now may be better suited for this kind of small company, growing company, doing something a little bit different. And then how do you come back? And I still have mentees that I started, that I created those relationships that interned for me. And I have interns that came for me that are now like creative directors, executive creative directors. And I think, I think that it's incredibly important to be kind 
and not not bullshit, but really kind of say, okay, I don't see this here. What do you really want? What do you really want to do, Rob? Right. And so what is it that turns you on or lights you up about that? How do you get to that path? Here are some things, here are some books, here are some people. And don't give up if that's what if that's really what you want to do. But you like I've told people they need to go back to school. I've told people they should keep working on their books. I've told people I don't, you know, don't see it. But I see this. And I am a massive advocate for an and benefit a beneficiary of someone's of seeing something in someone that maybe that they didn't see in themselves and helping them on the way to that a different path than maybe what they saw. And so I think it's it it it's a part getting curious about people and their and their why and their context and and what's driving that. I think it's great to come out of school or come out of wherever and say this is where I want to work because it gives you a path. And whether you're coming out of school or you're coming out of another job, what are the where do you want to work? Who do you want to work for? What brands? What agencies? Whose work do you love? And how do you get there? And how do you connect the dots with people who know? Who, you know, LinkedIn is an amazing tool for that. Like, who do I know? Who knows somebody? Who knows somebody who can connect, introduce me, and at least get me a conversation? I met at you least. through through LinkedIn. I just I literally typed in I wanted to work at Disney, and I typed in you know Walt Disney World Resorts something or other, and it's like the head of Parks Resorts, and I'm like, yes, here it is. There's something wrong with me. I just send it. But, you know, I always encourage people leaving school. There's not that many people reaching out to them as you would think that there are a lot, but, you know, and most of those people have a shitty intention when they reach out at some sort of, like we're talking about transactional thing. Very few people go, Gene, I love this thing. You did this thing and just from somewhere genuine. Yeah. Um, I think that's the big key there. I also I also tell people you know flattery can get you everywhere. Like I can't my my LinkedIn mailbox is a mess right now. So I <laughs> so for all the people out there that I haven't responded to, I'm sorry. Rob got in at a good time, but at the same time, I think you were very positive. You were very flattering. You're very excited, and why wouldn't I? You know, make mm-hmm. that time. And so I would schedule time as, and I would used to drive my assistant bananas because I would say yes to everything. And I've always had this open door policy and I, you know, here's my couch and what are we going to talk about and how can I help? And for better, for worse. I think honestly, when I look back on my career, it's for better because I think that people and connections is where I've had the most impact. Yeah. Asking for what you need and overcoming the fear of asking for what you need. Why is that so important to be vulnerable and to be honest? And, and what stops most creatives, you think, from, from doing that in the first place? I think as creatives, and please, please tell me if you think differently. I, you know, I know myself and a lot of people that I've worked with. We have to believe in our ideas, believe in ourselves to sell the ideas. Like You have to be convicted. At the same time, it's sort of this magical thing of like, oh, I'm creative. And am I creative? And am I good enough? A friend of mine, Kat Gordon, who's founded the 3% Conference, she talks about, you know, itty bitty shitty committee. Like we all have this inner voice that can really do a number on us. And if we're vulnerable and putting yourself out there, whether it's asking for a job, asking for a raise, asking for a connection, asking for time, asking for opportunities. The rejection is hard. And, you know, when, if you put yourself out there and then what you get is rejected, I mean, it's good. It, this I'll get a little woo-woo again. It's like, it's that's your inner child. Our inner child is like not getting our needs met, right? You know, sometimes it's a good thing to kind of talk to yourself, yourself as you would 
some people say a best friend, some people say your seven-year-old self. And what does that seven-year-old self need, right? And how they yeah. can you can talk to them. I think for me, I, I I don't know how I learned it early or how I tapped into it early, but I have a bit of a, what's the worst that can happen? Fearlessness. It comes from being a, a rebel kid, a tr- bit of a troublemaker, a black sheep in the family or whatever. And it's like, all right, what's the worst that can happen? And And so I think I learned if I I wouldn't get what I didn't ask for, and I, maybe it's being one of five kids, and then you know, I can you get? Is there any more? Is there any more? Is there, is there any more shrimp? There's cereal left? Yeah. No, there's no more shrimp. You, that's it. But but or or whatever it is, and I think it's like you know, you kind of have to fight for what you want, and then I think because as as a woman in the industry early as a creative, and then as a creative leader, it's sort of like you look around. There's not a lot of people like it. Like, what do I have to do to get what I want? How to to get noticed? To get the next level. And especially as a mom, like it, I think it really came into play for me as a mom. It was hard. It was really hard to be in this business and to have the work ethic that we have that, you know, bring it back and do it over was BBDO, right? If you don't come in Sunday, don't come in Monday. And to think, okay, I really love what I do, but I also really love these little people. How am I going to balance that? And so you start to learn to go, if I don't ask, I'm not going to get it. You always talk about like your daughters and about being a mom. And I know that you've been actively involved in helping other people in that situation. But how did that act as a motivator in your life? I think it was an intersection, right, of being a woman in in an industry that was basically led by men and kind of seeing that cause and intersected with being a mom. And I had this preconceived notion that I would be the kind of mom that would keep working because I love what I did. And I would show my sons or daughters, I didn't know what I was going to have, how important that is, not just for men, but for women to follow a path and do what they love and be able to have a family and be, but, but have both, which is really difficult to have both. When I indeed had daughters and my first daughter, Maya was born 23 years ago, which sounds like, you know, a lifetime. I had no idea, Rob, you don't have kids, right? Not, not yet. Eventually we're, we're getting, we're getting there. I'm enjoying the last of my freedom. Go all you can. I I was married for 10 years before we had kids. I told, so I had this preconceived notion in my head that I was going to be this feminist mom who showed kids the way. And then I had my daughter, my first daughter, and I was blown away by how it felt to have this needy, adorable, screaming, some barely sleeping human in front of me and my responsibility and I didn't know I would feel that way. I didn't know how much I could, my capacity for love, but also my capacity for my attention to be shifted to this person, little person who needed me. And then you multiply it by two. And that's where the sort of asking for what I needed started coming about. It's like, I'm not ready to come back. I, I Three months, great. No, I'm not even, I, I remember taking a trial run to Baby Gap. And my mom had my daughter and I hadn't found a nanny yet. And I was in tears in in the in the gap. Like why I did that to myself, I don't know. But I was like, yeah, not ready. And so it was like, I need a little more time. I need to ask. I absolutely take all the time. And there were there weren't a lot of women on maternity. Take a little more time. Take a little. Then it was, I'm not ready to come back. I found a nanny. What do you think about the idea of me working from home two days a week? And so you know, going back to the late 90s, 
remote really wasn't something that people did, but I started working remotely a couple of days a week and my partner who was a woman as well. So our boss was like, well, you you can go remote as well. And this is at, you know, again, a boys club of an agency. And it was like, oh, be like, how'd you do it? I'm like, I asked. Right. Right. And then you start to go, all right. And then, you know, it goes from, then you start to go, oh, okay. That's, that's how this is going to work. And I'm going to hear no sometime. And then, you know, where the hell's Jean? This is one of her remote days, get her ass in the office. And then you go, (laughs) okay, that lasted for a year. That was pretty cool. That really helped me get through that really difficult first year of motherhood and then get back to the office. And, but at the same time, coming back as a, as a mom, trying to figure that shit out, trying to figure out how to go on shoots, how to, how to leave, how to be present, how to work birthdays, how to, you know, and I, and I really learned this idea of going where you're needed most, you know, for sure. Touching on family about prioritizing that. And, and I think that without you know, I'll let you share whatever you want to share without getting too into it. But I, I'm a little bit privy to, you know, during COVID, you decided to make some some changes in your life. And I know that you had talked about meditation about, and you and I both connected, I think, somewhat reconnected during COVID about, you know, sobriety and how that's affected your life. But all of a sudden, you're home. <laughs> Perfect segue, you're, you're back home but like with COVID. Talk about that experience in your life. And about reframing your life and all that, you've had huge change in your life. But yeah, no, thank you for that opportunity to talk about it. There's a lot to unpack in there, and I think I started meditating with an executive coach, and it was really interesting. It was, you know, again, we think about failing forward, and I, I, I was at Disney, and during COVID, in my was it during COVID before COVID, my. My boss, the woman who had hired me, was leaving. She was retiring. And it was always discussed that I was, you know, she was grooming me for her role. And I didn't get the role. They 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 had collapsed it into an SVP of creative and production and strategy and account management and operations and finance. And it was this mega role. And they brought in someone who had had CCO, CFO, CEO experience, a true unicorn. And in the process, I got an executive coach, which is one of these corporate gifts that you get, which is pretty amazing when you think about it on your leadership journey. I didn't really know about it. And the first thing that she's like, what do you want to work on? I said, well, apparently I need to work on time management and prioritization. And she's like, I said, so what do you got? Tricks, one sheeters, four quadrants, a schedule, a separate. She goes, no, we're going to get you to meditate. And I said, what are you talking she's like, about? Yeah, you're a design leader at Disney. It seems like things are pretty. <laughs> yeah. She's pretty like, well here. I think that's it. She's like, it sounds like what you need to do is focus and prioritization to be present. And the hardest thing at Disney for me, besides this left brain, right brain thing, like I went to Disney thinking I was going to teach what I knew from my advertising experience and agency experience. And I had so much to learn about the business. It was humbling how much I had to learn. And ultimately, it was really difficult. It was really difficult because the volume was massive. I think we had 17,000 projects in a year and trying to see everything and touch it and mold it and evolve it and grow it and improve it and hire and work on the budget and work on it. It was a lot. And I had to learn to be present and, and also to prioritize in the sense of where's my, where does my energy need to go? Where do I need to focus? Because it, it's scattered, you know, 
ADD brain, creative brain, what's sparkly, what's shiny, what, what can I want to help? I'm a fixer and people person, how to do that. And so I started meditating somewhat reluctantly with my first coach, Amy Green. And then fast forward to the pandemic, and I was kind of a dabbler of, of meditation. Fast forward to the, to, the, to the pandemic, and I'm now home all the time. I'm a, I'm a workaholic who loves to travel, who loves input, who loves people, who hates, who does, hard, finds a hard time to leave the office because I love what I do, and I get hyper-focused. And then I'm home. So that creates a dynamic of being home. We've 70% of our team is furloughed. So feel really responsible for all those people. A friend of mine reached out and she said, I'm doing a 21 day meditation with Chopra and Oprah launched this free meditation program, 21 days to help the collective energy of the, of the universe earth in this very difficult time of COVID super as woo woo as it gets. So let's all meditate together and help make the world a better place. I'm like, well, I'm almost losing my marbles. So it sounds like a good idea. And I had a really hard time actually even sitting still long enough to meditate, like 20 minutes sitting in a, like, it was really difficult for me. So I started walking and listening to meditation. So I both started moving more and walking. I have, I have like chills because I, I had the, the exact same experience. It's so funny. I used to listen to Andy from Headspace. You go, hi, it's Andy. I love Headspace. Andy's voice. I could listen. And Andy's where I started. I started in Headspace. I love that. Then I got really into Chopra. Um, Eve, by the way, Eve from Headspace follows me to creatives of all the shit that's happened in my life. That's my crowning achievement. Eve is like the female Andy and she follows me to creatives on Instagram. And I almost had, a, it was like Jesus Christ himself followed me on Instagram. Jesus Christ. The people. I, I can't even look now to see if she's, I would be devastated if I found out she unfollowed me. If she me, doesn't follow you anymore? I, what, I think she does, but I'm, I'm not gonna look. In okay, my so mind, she still does. not my intention that she is still following him. Yes. And if not, there's a very good reason. So, <laughs> so, so fast forward. Okay, so I'm in the pandemic. I'm meditating. I'm on my Peloton. I'm trying to get healthy. I'm trying, I'm working like round the clock to keep my people employed, to keep the work going, feeling really responsible. And my marriage is falling apart, Show, shining a light on a lot of things that were problematic that I was escaping with work and not being present. And so being present brought a lot of things to the surface. So one of the things, so that we start to go into like a couples therapy and I'm a big believer in therapy. So I've been doing therapy for a long time and couples therapy. And at the same time, I was also practicing Al-Anon. My daughters, both daughters are sober. And my oldest daughter really struggled quite a bit with addiction. And so that was a really, really challenging mental health issues. And that was a challenging journey for our family and for me in particular. So Al-Anon was really a savior for me. So I'm doing all these things, you know, for self-care. I'm meditating, I'm exercising, I'm at Al-Anon, I'm in therapy, I'm in couples therapy. And then something came up in, in couples therapy where we're like, you know, like many people during the pandemic, there's a lot of wine being consumed when you're drinking coffee to get up in the morning and then drinking wine when the when the laptop shots and you sit down and have dinner and then you go back to emails and more For work, sure. more wine. I, so, was, I was already on a tear and then they're like, hey, like the liquor stores are open. Pour yourself a stiff drink. It's going to be a rough couple of months. And I, I was like, I'll take that bet. Yeah. And then I ended up in AA. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it wasn't until my ex-husband in a, in a couples therapy session said, you know, that the therapist was like, well, what's going on? He's like, we're just fighting. And, you know, she's looks at me resentful at the dinner. Where are you fighting? We're fighting at the dinner table. And he goes, I think maybe there's something connected with all the, all that we're both drinking. And he said, I wonder if we took that out, if that would, if that would change things. 
And I, and I, for some reason, again, I have, I have a little bit of a chip in me that I'm like all or nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, then no booze. Then I don't want, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be a mean person. I don't want to be, you know, unkind. I don't want to be aggressive. No, no. I don't want to fight because I don't like to fight. And he's like, well, you don't have to take that completely knock. I go, no, no. And so that was two and a half years ago. And I just decided I wasn't going to drink. And then it was really fascinating for me to discover what I was numbing with alcohol, Mm -hmm. both from a work, from a work standpoint, from a personal standpoint, emotional, mental, physical, and there was no looking back for me. It was just like, do the work to get through it. And then it was like, I've had, you know, but can say, honestly, I've never felt better. And so, you know, that combination of, and so, and then so my marriage, ultimately we decided to end it and get divorced. And I moved to Santa Monica and to the beach. And then I was basically, you know, in it, it, the work, it didn't matter where we were working, but I was like, oh, I've always wanted to be closer to the beach. As you know, Disney is further on the east side in Burbank, right. in, in Los Angeles, outside of Los Angeles. So lived at the beach, walked on the beach every single day, meditated, ate clean, felt really, really, really much better much better. And, and I, and I think ultimately, you know, when I took on the Walmart role during the pandemic and it was all remote and really was very intentional when I started that job that I let myself not, I didn't take care of myself as, as well when I was at Disney. And I kind of had certain points where I was like, like not sleeping, not eating well, drinking too much, working around the clock. And I was exhausted and and anxious. And so I'm like, no, I'm going to really protect my mental health, my emotional, spiritual, physical health, so I can be a better leader, so I can be present, so I can show up for my people. And so I can be proactively creative as opposed to reacting to everything. And that go back to big, giant loop back to meditation. What am I focusing on? What is my purpose? What is, where do I want to have impact and what do I need to do that today, every day? And, and just, I think the big, one of the biggest learnings for me was just to, the, yesterday doesn't matter. It's like, I'm not, not no regrets, right? Because it's all learning that got me here to today, tomorrow, who knows, like this, let's be present. Let's be here today and, and be present for the people that you're living, working, loving. And there was like one of my favorite mantras from the first 21 day meditation with Chopra was this mantra of this too shall pass. And it was such a light bulb for me that was no matter how bad this is, you could be in the shittiest situation. It can't stay this bad. It cannot possibly stay this bad. And Flip that to no matter how great it is, top of the world, big job, great relationship, kids are all healthy. You know, the New York, the New York three, right? Great, great job, great apartment, great, great relationship. Yeah. This is good. This too shall pass. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too cocky. Stay humble because it could be all gone tomorrow. And so that idea of being present completely changed my way of operating. Yeah. Yeah, being present, I think, is is so key. Being in the moment, seeing you document the the journey of getting sober right around the same time that I because May and July, you know, it's pretty much the same thing. But seeing you document that was so encouraging for me because I think you have it in your head when when you're struggling with addiction or you're struggling with whatever it is, 
you have it in your head, you're going to go there and there's going to be just a bunch of homeless people there. <laughs> you think, you know, I'd never in my wildest dreams thought getting involved in recovery. I, you know, there's so many people that, like you said, are, are like you, you are an example, are operating at the highest level, but yet feel so much pain and so much discontent and so much anxiety, like you were talking about. And it was so encouraging for me, who was just setting out on my sobriety journey to see, okay, you know, this, I was going to say this chick, this, this girl, chick, I'm a chick. Make this, this, make woman, me feel this better. woman, this yeah, woman, yeah, yeah. the strong, powerful, independent, feminist woman, to see you documenting what that was, what that was like, and, and talking about how being vulnerable, I think was, was important for me to see. And with all that said, how, how is your life now in comparison and, and what is different? And for people that are struggling, you know, what would you recommend? Well, thank you for, for seeing me and acknowledging that what I believe is was why it was important to share is exactly for that reason. Part of why I shared publicly, I'm a pretty, I live pretty publicly is as a servant leader, because I really do believe in that term of servant leadership, I'm here to help others on their journeys, is to live authentically and to share my truth in the hopes that it can help others. So why did I share back in the day when I was named Mother of the Year and by Advertising Women of New York and Working Mothers Magazine the same weekend that my older daughter was put, I had to leave her in residential treatment and felt like the biggest failure as a mother. Why did I share that publicly? Because I was in so much pain and I felt like a fraud and that to be rewarded was to accept with grace this award, but also acknowledge this is really hard and nobody's perfect. And for all of the other moms or dads or parents in general trying to do the right thing, don't be so hard on yourself. And so similarly with sobriety, it was part of it was going public to hold myself accountable. Same. If I say this out loud, I'm shit sure going to feel a little bit judged, but also held accountable. And so by being doing, and then think about there are people out there that think it's, they have their shame attached to addiction. It's a, this it's a disease. I believe with all my, my head and heart. And so going out there and showing up warts and all like, let's go. And I've connected with quite a few people and, and the, like people that have been sober for 20 years, people have been sober for 20 days. It's just like, there's a community in that. And the, and it's like, I think there's, I think there's a high, high, high level of that unspoken and functioning addictions in the creative world because feeding the beast, right? It's like, how do I stay creative? How do I stay fun? How do I stay cultural? And I really believed that the boozy culture that agencies have, I would try to bring that to Brandside. And it's funny because I'm like, we have to make this feel like an agency. That means happy hour on Friday. That means, you know, we're going to go out into where we've got to find our pub. And you start to realize like, do we? Do we have to do that? Right. What we have to do is introduce an element of fun and play. That's what I think keeps creativity alive. And that what that's one of the things that helps create a culture of creativity. And so that our society lets us think that that's done with alcohol or drugs or whatever, like the social lubrication things. Yeah. And I think if you create a fun, vulnerable, safe place to play. And that means safe place to fail. Because otherwise, if you fail, it's terrible, it brings back all that shame again, then you're helping 
drive the creative process and build creative thinkers and great creative work. So I think, you know, for, for people, you, you know, to bring it back, you asked me about, you know, for people out there, I think, you know, it was really helpful for me to use the I Am Sober app just to register it and see it. I'm a very results oriented person. And if I could see it, <laughs> I'm like, oh. of your sobriety. <laughs> right. And so yeah. it's like, oh, that's a good data point. I've done this. And there's a community of celebration and a reminder. Now I don't even check it. Right. Um, but it meant it meant a lot to me as I was going through through the first things. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll say like, you know, oh, I'm going to a creative retreat this weekend in Napa. And one part of it is wine tasting. I'm like, damn, that's something I would really like to do. But I'm like, I don't know if I can trust myself. I don't know if I'm an alcoholic. I know there's alcoholism and addiction in my family. I But I do know I'm not a one and done person. Right. So for me, this is a choice of like, it's probably just better for me not to. And I like how I feel when I'm not drinking. And I don't seem to need the social lubricant. So I think the more you step into your true self, your authentic self, and you get comfortable with being uncomfortable and show up, I think the less you need that. But it's easier said than done. Everybody's on their journey. But I do, I'm I'm a massive advocate for the 12-step programs. I think it's, you know, there's there's the woo-woo and there's the God part. I'm a, you know, terrible non-practicing Catholic, but <laughs> definitely think of myself as a spiritual person. Right. And I think about higher powers and powers that connect us. And and to go full circle, 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 because you talked about connecting the dots. I do think that's what we are as creatives. Someone I was talking to, someone, and they said, well, what you do is you're a creative aerialist. You stay really high and you see the dots out there, especially for a brand or for a, a client or a project. And how do you pull those together? So you, you, you know. I love that. I normally hate that kind of shit, but that that's, that's dope. That's so. I know. I like yeah. that. I might, I might have to use creative aerialist in my, in my bio. I'm working. I'm thinking about it. Just chat GPT to come up with like 50 different ways. Reword this so that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but it's funny because I learned the word through Chopra, his philosophy of synchro destiny. And it's it, and synchro destiny is like, you know, you can manifest abundance, which my, you know, a very good friend of mine was calling me calling bullshit on me this weekend. So we were talking about it. But got to keep uh, those around. Got to keep you humble. You know? yeah. keep, it, keep it real. I got yeah. it. Left brain, right brain, rational, rational, intu intuitive, intellectual. But this idea that you can manifest abundance, you can put positivity out and you'll get positivity back. You can you can set a vision so I can see it. I'm going to picture myself in this place. Like I'm going to visualize what it looks like and feels like what my life feels like when I go there. And then is it bullshit or is it I'm going to make these choices that are going to get me to this, whether it's a house or it's a life or it's a job or it's a partner and or lifestyle. And, and I think the one thing that Chopra teaches is that the universe will send you signs and send you opportunities. And it's your it's, it's not magical. It's your job to connect the dots and say, I see a pattern here. I see a butterfly in this and a butterfly in that and a get butterflies but you know what i mean right yeah and this is something that i need to to lean into and there's there's a message here for me and there's also the universe will which one of the things i get the most woo woo thing of all that i heard this last year <laughs> okay if, I, if people are with us still like this is you know we're here we're doing it we're in it if you're still if you're still picking up the the woo woo <laughs> shit that i'm putting down thank you appreciate you no this idea of like sometimes the universe will eject you from a place you're not supposed to be. Oh yeah. I believe it. And you know, there are there are, you know, we do things 
And it's, we're not always where we're supposed to be. And then there are opportunities that will come to us or we will go towards them because that's, that's our, that's what's next. And yeah. in different chapters. Yeah. My philosophy has always been, and it's evident today talking to you is to be close to the sun. I heard that somewhere, probably from some, some Gary Vee thing, but get close to the sun and the sun being this like impossibly bright thing, this unattainable thing. You're not, it's too big to comprehend, right? You're, you're getting close to that. And sometimes, and I've kind of added this over the years, you get a little too close to the sun and you get burned, but stay there. And I have these people in my life and you are unequivocally one of them after today and have been all along, but it's only been reaffirmed today, but yourself, Brian Collins, Leland Massmeyer, these, I think you talked about, was it a, a council, a, a board? Personal board of directors. A, por a personal board of directors. I have these people in my life who are far out in front of me. They're sort of like these big sons of their own. And I just, I stick around them. And then and over time, you, you just learn, you get a little bit closer, that like gravitational pull, and it becomes more attainable. The, the metaphor is somewhat lost there, but I always tell people, it's like, get as close as you can to the person that you aspire to be like without getting a restraining order. Just over time, just whittle them down. Do I need to change my my, my locks? Not yet, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. If I could triangulate the cut, no, no. But I think it's I think it's uh, it's important to do and get close to the people that you really aspire to be and, and to look up to. And you know, it, it's gonna get a little weird. It's gonna get a little bit clunky when you're trying to start yourself into someone's life. But I think it's an important thing to do, especially for people who are starting out. Well, and I think I think there's there's a massive benefit to mentorship, to sponsorship, to allyship. We call them the three ships. And and the board is part of that. I think, you know, when I first started out, I thought it was all bullshit. I was like, you know, again, I I, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody's help. I got I want to meet like 18 year old, like 21 year old, like Jean Bethany. Like when, when was like the rebel period? How mid 20s? My my teens and my teens were really rebellious. Twenties a little bit, yeah. But I think I think where I settled down a little bit is when I found my my thing and going like I didn't love high school. I went to an all girl Catholic high school, which was probably my home breakup with the big guy upstairs and all that <laughs> business. All the, the, the Catholic sandal, church with the sandals. Yeah, a little too much muchness on that. We I was not picking up what they were putting down. And but when I really kind of was a little bit like anti-establishment, I still don't like authority, which is really interesting since I've done the corporate thing. Yeah. But I when I got to school and I, I like the art department was always my favorite place in my high school. And I like, you know, that was would, it was down in the basement and I would could create there all day. And it was kind of my happy place, but I didn't really know what to do with it. And I, I went to FIT and advertising design and I was kind of a punk ass because I'm like, yeah, I'll do two years. I'll be out. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't that aspirational. I was kind of like, whatever. But when I started getting into my classes and I started like getting creative problems to solve, I was so lit up. Everything in my being was like, this is what I love to do. I could stay up all night long and solve these problems and move these pixels and, you know, create these solutions and like keep going and going. And that's how I've all I've felt my whole career is like, that's when I get into my flow. And so finding that thing helped channel that rebel spirit, that what if thinking that like, you know, cause I've, I've stayed a bit of a, you know, I'm a, I'm a culture. I've been brought in to help change cultures and places. I'm not always a culture fit. 
And so how do you evolve culture is, is pushing against the confines of what exists and saying, have you thought about this? What if? How do we innovate? How do we change? How do we make this better? And myself included. So I think there's that that component of like, you know, getting into a groove. And and I think we, as creatives, we need to stay rebels to a certain extent. Because 100%. if you just stay status quo, you're going to get past. And it's yeah. there's nostalgia, but there's also like growth into the future. I think there's something about, you know, rebel. Apple nailed it. Like, you know. Yeah. And think different. Think different, yeah. And, and this idea of affiliating yourself with a rebellious spirit of like, that's that's where innovation comes from. I love that. I, I got to wrap this up. Otherwise, I'll be talking to you for like four hours. This has, <laughs> been, this has been so cool. I know you think that I say this to everybody. This has really been one of my favorite conversations that I've had. My wife is, I think, maybe in the other room. I'm going to go give her an ear beating and tell her about how you're like, you're the new obsession. You're the new move over Brian Collins. Gene. Uh-oh. I'm gonna I'll ping, I'll text Brian and say, sorry, sorry, man. But Rob's now in my fan club. No, I, I think, you know, I appreciate you saying that. It was you're you're great to talk to. People and are I, tired of hearing about him, by the way. So that's uh, it's it's, yeah. only, it's only right that I move on to a to greener path. Exactly. So, yeah. Give a little gene love out there. That'd be a good yeah. it's a good time for that. Yeah. Uh, I think we have we have a lot of things in common. A lot of things in common, I think. And sometimes they're seen as weaknesses, you know, whether mm. it's ADD brain or addictions or, you know, challenging the status quo. But I think what what I've learned over a lot of years is those those things can are what makes you you and and can be used for good, and yeah. I think we're, that's what we're here for for the greater good. I love that. It's cool to see someone like yourself, who I see so much of myself in you in a weird way. But like, I, I it's good because I, I have this sort of like this idea of like this long term plan. So when I see someone who is my ideas, are are in line with you're obviously a, a little bit wiser and more polished, but I'm like, oh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna kill this shit one day, but it just I'm on that I'm on that journey of finding myself and finding my my inner peace. Yeah. Okay. Where can people find you online? What's the best place to get in touch? Shameless self-promotion time. Anything you wanna say for my audience of like four hundred people, the floor is yours. Oh, oh all four hundred of you. <laughs> yes. Thanks for listening, everyone, and th thanks for the opportunity, Rob. Be more than that, by the way. I'm being, I'm being modest. So. <laughs> okay. The best, I'd say the best way to get me is LinkedIn. I do have a pretty full inbox, but I go through it. I'm currently working on a couple of opportunities. So that are, that are still cooking, still, still on the, on the, on the stove. So I, I don't have a, a new address quite yet, but I'm excited about what's this next chapter will bring. You know, I, I do, I do mentor, I do sponsor, I do speak, I do, I'm, I'm writing, I'm trying to write it. I've got a, in true ADD form, I'm trying to write three books at the same time. So let's <laughs> see what I get done. And I'm toying with the idea of a podcast. So I'm probably going to. You so have to have a podcast. I speak for everyone when I, when I say this, you have to have one. If my dumbass could have one, you could definitely have one. <laughs> well, and I may ask you for, for pointers. So, uh, so right back at you. Well, I you know just get I me mean. in like rub, rubbing elbows with all the cool people and I'll come on and you'll have to like edit it down, but it'll be really good. But you should so have a podcast. I think that there needs to be more uh, genuine voices out there. There's a lot of like foo-foo kind of like, you know, nonsense, like design thinking type podcasts. So I think if you had one that was super legit and talked about things we did like today, I think it'd be perfect. So that's good. Well, thank you. It. All right. I'm, I'm leaving with my dignity before I say something. To you. All right. Bye, Rob. Bye. Thanks for the time. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.